you probably didn't think too much about it because like you said, you just figured it'd be a bigger, happier family. Yes. When did things get hard? I should have seen that his children were parented differently than mine as a red flag. You're listening to the Nacho Kids Podcast, where we discuss all things step family related, real stories, real people, real help. Your hosts are the creators of the Nacho Kids Method and the Nacho Kids Academy Step Family Coaching Team, Lori and David Sims. Welcome to episode 162 of the Nacho Kids Podcast. Welcome. Welcome, everybody. Welcome one. Welcome all. When this podcast releases, stepson Ethan will be here. Yeah, that is true. So excited to have Ethan home. Yep. He's boomeranging back for a very short period. Yes, but he'll be close. Yeah, not close enough, but yes. Well, David, we can't move everybody in the front yard. <laughs> well, that's your plan for Jackson. No, Jackson's staying in the house. I <laughs> know he's not. He is. No. David. I've already got the papers that he can sign for the U.S. Marine Corps. My baby is not going in the Marines. What about the Peace Corps? No. <laughs> My baby's not going to no Corps. <laughs> Unless it's Microsoft Corps. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll see. Yeah. We don't have anything planned to do with Ethan. Uh, because we've learned. Don't plan anything with youngins because <laughs> they come back and they're like, I want to go do this and I want to go do that. And I want to go visit this friend. And, and the whole time we're sitting there going, but we have these other plans. Well, didn't we say we had to go bowling or something? I don't know. They, they all have this thing where they, you know, their life's ambition is to beat me in a game of bowling. And, um, so far, mm, I think I still reign supreme. <laughs> well, then we're going bowling. <laughs> that does it. We are going to the eight-lane bowling alley in Lancaster. Oh, the the big, massive eight-lane bowling alley? <laughs> yeah, it used to be, what, 16 lanes, and then they cut it in half. Yeah, it used to be pretty good size. I don't, I don't understand all that, but anyway. Yeah, if he wants to go bowling, that's fine. Might even have to take him to Charlotte. No, oh, now you're talking big money. Well, I'm not doing the go-kart thing till it cools down outside because it's hotter than sin. Okay, indoor go-karting? Oh, yeah. As long as I don't have to wear that face mask thing. You have to wear a helmet. Without the glass shield. Well, depends on what helmet you get. But even if you got a glass shield, you can push it up. Okay. It's hot either way. You're going to be sweaty. Well, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to get me one of those cool Danas. One of those oh cool bandana gosh. things. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right, y'all. So before we talk about our guest today, I want to talk a little bit about the Nacho Kids Academy. All right. In the Nacho Kids Academy, there are video courses. There are challenges. There are Q&A coaching calls. There are previous Q&A coaching calls. And there is a completely anonymous community forum. Yep. It's the place to go to truly understand how to nacho properly and improve your relationships 
to lessen the craziness going on in your life the quickest way possible. And that's what I was going to say. You can spend an hour in the Facebook group and get maybe two tidbits of information that may or may not be correct. Or you can spend an hour in the academy and get a buttload of information that is correct. Yep. And I said buttload. So if you're looking for a buttload (laughs) of nachoing, then that's where it's at. (laughs) To get your buttload of nachoing, join the Nacho Kids Academy today. No buts about it. (laughs) No buts about it. Okay. If you do decide to join the Nacho Kids Academy, one of the first places we tell you to start is the Nacho Kids Boot Camp. Because that sets you up with nachoing properly, understanding why you're nachoing, and also understanding some of the challenges that your significant other may be facing and the stepkids. Mm-hmm. So that's the best place to start. Yeah, it's it's a very well-rounded approach. And often you'll find that if you stick with it long enough, there's a lot of things that are happening that you need to address that you weren't aware of which is why we always say it's much more than just disengaging. The, there's a lot of people who who um, misunderstand that, and oftentimes we'll hear people say, oh, I was nachoing before it was even a thing. No, you weren't. You were disengaging before you realized that nachoing and disengaging were you know kind of hand-in-hand with certain things, but you weren't nachoing. You weren't doing the process the way it's set up um, because if you if you were, you wouldn't be looking for – uh, help still because you found out a lot of things that you needed to know and you'd resolved a lot of the issues. Yeah, what David said, y'all. <laughs> well, I'm just trying to point out that it it's a it's a very big process. You didn't get yourself into this overnight. You know, a lot of people that come to us say, you know, I'm three years in or I'm two years in or whatever it is. Some people even 10, 11 years in and they're having some issues and it's just easy easier to look at this process, figure out what works for you and put those things in action than to try to just figure them out on your own. Or as you put it earlier, you can spend a lot of time or waste a lot of time looking for answers that may or may not work. So it's just a, it's a quick way to fast track your success. Good way to put it, David. I need to add a disclaimer. There is mention of suicide in this podcast. All right. Our guest today is stepmom Jamie. She's the breadwinner in the family. This in itself can cause challenges. Yep. She's been blending for seven years. Stepson 19, stepson 17, four bio kids, and an hour's daughter. So seven kids together. Hardest part of her blending is the stepkids' behavior. Best advice? You can't care more than the bio parents. <laughs> you can if you want it to drive you crazy. Yeah, people say, how can you not care? It's not that you don't care. You realize that your caring more than the bio parents is a waste of your time and energy and sanity. Mm-hmm. So for your well-being, you can't care more than the bio parents. Maybe that's how we should put that, David. Yeah, you shouldn't care more than about your parents. But yes. even that can be misconstrued. So, yeah, what what you said. 
that's <laughs> what I said. Because people argue about it, and even they take it out of context because they're not listening to it properly. Look, what is it that Laura Petherbridge says? Don't hear what I'm not saying. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Yeah. That's like I had mentioned there was a post that I made several years ago. Everybody thumbed up, hearted it, whatever. Oh, I love this. It came back around, and I posted it a month or so ago. Oh, my gosh. That's not true. How can you say that? What about this? What about that? I'm like, oh, my gosh. Where did I say this? I did not say that I'm referring to adopted kids or I'm referring to foster kids. Nowhere does it say anything about that. People are living in a self-triggered world. Oh, yeah. Not only is it a triggered society, they look at things and find something to be triggered about, even if it's not there. That's true. It's the craziest stuff I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. It's like people are going to look at stop signs, and since it's a capital S, T, O, and P, they're going to say, it's hollering at me. (laughs) And why is this thing yelling at me? (laughs) That thing yelled at me and it hurt my feelings. (laughs) Yep, you're right. Mm -hmm. So uh, some people just like to complain. Sometimes they don't even realize it. They don't even realize that their life revolves around negativity to the point where they're just toxic. Sometimes even to themselves, they're toxic. They don't even realize it. True. But if you read something on Facebook, a meme or a whatever they're called, something somebody wrote, don't read more into it than what it says. If the sentence says, the cat ate cheese, don't say, well, what about the dog? Nobody <laughs> said nothing about a dog. <laughs> what kind and of wh- cheese? Why didn't the cat get milk? Nobody said the cat didn't get milk. But it said the cat got cheese. What about kittens? Quit reading what I'm not saying. (laughs) All right. Now that's been said. So y'all listen to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Listen to it. But make sure you hear what's being said. Yeah. (laughs) Don't hear what's not being said. Well, I think think a lot of us have come to um, realize that reading between the lines, I'm doing air quotes, reading between the lines is so necessary in certain other aspects of life that you just do it everywhere, even where it's not necessary. But don't make up your own version of what somebody else said. But everybody lives in their own reality. But what they covered up with nowadays is the phrase of live your own truth. Okay, that's concerning because your truth might not be true. (laughs) Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's a whole nother ball game. All right, so let's get to listening. Yes, let's do. Today we have stepmom Jamie. Hey, Jamie, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. So tell us a little bit about your blend. How long have you been blending? Well, we've been married for five years, and we've been together for about seven. So. Right about, right about then, we introduced our kids to each other about six months into us dating. Okay. So you've got stepkids and bio kids? Yes. I have four biological children and my, well, I have five. My husband has two, came in with two, and then we have one together. So we have seven total. 
Holy moly. And how old are your bio kids? Mine are 19, 17, 13, 9. And we have one together that's four. And his are 19 and 17. Goodness gracious, girl. Mm-hmm. Wow. So you've got mm-hmm. two of your bio kids are the same age as his step kids. Same or, age as his, yeah. Yeah. His step kids. His, his kids, kids yeah. yeah. So my oldest is five months older than his oldest, but they were in different grades. She was grade above him. Mm-hmm. And our two 17-year-olds are both in the same grade, even though his son is six months older than my son. Just the way their birthdays fell. They're in the same grade at school. And that has to be interesting in itself. It really is. They don't go to the same school, but over COVID, his son decided to transfer to my son's school last year when they were sophomores. Mm-hmm. And that was just fine. That worked fine. They were both online. and But I was always pretty glad that they didn't physically go to the same school. I think that would have been pretty terrible. Yes. Yeah. So our older two children never went to the same school. And I was really glad about that. Totally different social circles and totally different kids. And that would have been a disaster. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah, it is really hard. Being a blended family is really, really hard. And I don't think I knew I was married the first time for over 17 years. Goodness. And I had no idea what I was getting myself into when I, the whole thing is just a lot, I think a lot different than I expected. You know, I think just like I did no research before, which was not very smart. And I just think I pictured like a nuclear family that just happened to be a little bigger. Yeah. Don't fault yourself for not doing research before you got into the blend because we did and it still didn't help us. Oh, really? Yeah. We researched and got as much information as we could because we knew it wouldn't be easy, but we thought, hey, we're ahead of the game because we did do this research. And we were still completely blindsided by some of the crap that happened. So don't beat yourself up for that. You can't change what happened in the past, that's for sure. And you have Mm -hmm. lived and learned for sure. Yes. I actually don't think I would do it again. Really? Yeah, I don't think I would. I adore my husband, but I don't think for me that it was worth the trauma to, honestly, me. I don't think my kids are very traumatized. Mm -hmm. I think my kids are super well-rounded and I think they, we made sure they were okay every step of the way, but like, it's just my whole life has taken kind of a way different course than I thought it would take. And yeah, I don't know. Like, My husband, I really, like I said, I really adore him, but I think a lot of peace in my life is gone and I'm not sure. Well, I mean, I guess I would choose this again because if I didn't, I would be out one child and I obviously wouldn't choose that. But beyond that, I don't, it was, it's been a lot and his kids are older now, so they're pretty much gone. And so I'm starting to regain some of the peace, which is really nice. But just looking back on like all of the dramatic mess and the trauma. And so when I started learning about Nacho and really have started to like kind of implement some of that, it's really helped me regain some of that peace where I can kind of put some of the responsibility 
of his children back onto him. Right. And so once someone, and it wasn't you, but someone on the Nacho Facebook page, Mm -hmm. one of the followers said something that really stuck with me. And she said, being a stepmother, a lot of the times people expect you to have all of the responsibility of being a biological parent with none of the authority. Yes, exactly. A hundred percent what was expected of me. And it's really, really unpleasant and not something I would wish on anyone. Okay. So let's back up a little bit. You met your husband. Sure. Well, he was a boyfriend then. Yeah. And yes, we were dating. He had these kids and you probably didn't think too much about it because like you said, you just figured it'd be a bigger, happier family. Yes. When did things get hard? I should have seen that his children were parented differently than mine as a red flag pretty quickly. And I chose to ignore it. Mm -hmm. So things got hard before we got married. Okay. So my ex-husband and I are pretty amicable and our children were parented, you know, I don't really kind of in a laid back manner, but they had structured rules. And I think genetically, my kids are pretty laid back. We never had outbursts or really any bad behavior. We had bad behavior, but we never had screaming or anything of the sort. We never had defiant, like very defiant behavior. Right. And probably we were lucky. So what I started to see when we were dating and after we got engaged was a couple of red flags. One of them was that John, obviously part of his attraction to me was that he liked how I parented my kids. And that in and of itself wasn't a red flag, but as they got to know him better, like that should have been somewhat of a red flag and that he was looking for someone to help him parent and to guide him in parenting. Mm-hmm. And then I started to notice that his children misbehaved a lot and not only misbehaved, but then there was no consequence for the misbehavior. And Mm -hmm. so as we got to know each other better and I started to see what was going on, I could see them be openly defiant. And so one time his parents came to visit and we went on a drive and something happened in the car that his younger son didn't like. And his younger son got out of the car when we got to our destination and literally ran off. And at the time he was probably 11 or maybe even 10 and he ran off. And I, that was very startling to me. And I had seen a few misbehaviors before that. And John had led me to believe that these misbehaviors were not normal and were out of the ordinary for his son. And then his son didn't normally misbehave. But when his son ran off, his mother turned to me and said, I really thought we were past all this. And that was the moment where I knew that John had misled me and that his son typically did misbehave. Yeah. When the trouble really started was when they moved into my home. They moved into my home in May of 2016. So at this point, we'd been dating about a year. Mm -hmm. And we were getting married in January of 2017. And they moved into our home. I had had my basement finished. So there were enough bedrooms for every child to have their own bedroom. And um, his older son, who up to this point, I found fairly pleasant and much better behaved than the younger son, had an outburst would be really putting it mildly, but got upset about something. And through the years, like the thing that started the fight or the thing that started the outburst always fades away. Like I always forget. I just remember the outburst. Right. But something upset him and he started screaming and pounding on the walls. And this was the first time I ever heard him like call his father names. And he started calling him an effing and 
Like I was shocked. And I know this sounds very naive, but I had never seen this behavior, this kind of behavior from a child. It didn't occur in my house when I was a child, even though I do have a sibling that was quite troubled and gave my parents quite a hard time. Mm-hmm. But this is not, I'd never seen this from my children. To my knowledge, it hasn't happened to my friend's children, although, of course, people don't always tell you what goes on in their home. So I was beyond shocked. And it was obvious from John's reaction that this was pretty normal. Oh. And so, you know, I had invited him to live in my home and here are these children. And I right then knew that this was not what I signed up for. And I kind of just waited to see what John would do and how John would handle it. And John did nothing. 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 And over the next two, three, four years, what really happened was these kids being out of control, belligerent, abusive to their parents verbally and sometimes physically. And John, when he did attempt to instill consequences, their mother telling him that he was not allowed to do that. Oh, that he was not allowed to punish them. Right. It was crazy. And it just made my life crazy and terrible. How often were they with y'all? About 60, 40. They were with us about 40% of the time at that time. During the first several years of our relationship, they were with us about 40% of the time. And it was awful. I wanted them much, much less because they were awful. Right. So you've got bio mom that's telling dad, you can't punish them or you can't discipline them. Absolutely. But she's dealing with the same crap at her house too. Absolutely. And she never disciplined them. I don't understand her mindset. And I don't think she sees that she has created this situation she's in now. Mm -hmm. You know, fast forward seven years. And I mean, so much turmoil has, has occurred. And they're terrible to her. The younger one is pretty okay. The older one, I mean, I'll tell you the the entire story, of course, but he's awful. And she over the years has sent John multiple photographs of bruises on her body. And, and she claims that the older child has physically abused her. He's never done anything like that in our home. He did take a swing at John once or twice, but never, never actually contact, like came in contact with John. He never was able to abuse anyone here. He never attempted to abuse anyone else physically in my home. Mm -hmm. But she would send John photographs of him abusing her. And at first I thought she was making it up. I didn't think it was true because she's been known to inflate things a little bit. Mm -hmm. But, and I, again, I feel like I'm a normal person and things like this just don't happen. But so first I thought she was making up, but now I actually don't know. Now I'm like, that really could have happened. Like, I, I, I believe that could have happened. Right. But then she didn't want to do anything about it. You know, she'll send them to John and say, you need to do something. But don't discipline them. Right. Right. And she would say, well, and John would say, well, what would you like me to do? I really think that he, he's hit you and left bruises. We need to call the police. Right. You know, this, at the time, he's like 16, 17 years old. And, you know, John would say, we need to call the police if he's assaulted you. Right. And of course, then she doesn't want to do that. So, so she really wants John to rescue her. But on one hand, they're not married anymore. And on the other hand, she's tied his hands. He can't, you know, for years, she hasn't allowed John to discipline her. And now the boys have reached an age where it doesn't matter what John says, they're not going to allow him to now discipline them. Right. On top of the fact that John is a terrible disciplinarian. Mm -hmm. Terrible. 
So it's just way out of hand. Like I really thought, and so the attraction between us, or at least from him to me, part of it was how I raise my children. Right. And so John and I quickly began to see a marriage counselor and, and I, the boys on top of not being disciplined had no structure, Mm -hmm. no structure. And John's ex-wife would just decide when they would be at John's house and when they would be at her house, like their parenting plan, as far as the custody arrangement and what they actually did had nothing to do with each other. Right. She would basically just inform John when he was going to get the boys. The boys had no idea where they were going to be. It was terrible. And that didn't help things, I'm sure. Oh, gosh, no. And the poor boys. So the first thing I did was say, hey, I need structure in my life. If we're going to be together, like you actually have to have a parenting plan. I kind of insisted and pushed. This was back before I was like, this isn't my problem, which I love now. Mm-hmm. And I kind of pushed and they went to mediation and they came up with a parenting plan. And when they did that, I took a calendar and I printed out like when the boys would be in what house and posted on the refrigerator and the boys like would look at it. And it was really great. And I just kind of viewed myself as this like person who could really provide structure for these boys and guidance and support. And so John and I quickly started to see a marriage counselor about these boys and the marriage counselor could see like how stressful it was for me, these poor boys And he was very quick to say to me, you are not going to be able to undo, you know, 14 years of damage for Sam is John's oldest son, Sam. And I think that's okay if I say his name in the four years you have left with him, right? You're not going to be able to fix. And that's hard for me to hear, but, um, and, but I quickly realized that as well. Even if you would have had another 20 years, they're shaped already. Right, right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, You know, when I wrote to you, the thing that always pops up in my mind when I'm reading through the Facebook page is the financial parts. That's been really hard for our family on top of the discipline parts. Mm -hmm. Like that, there's so many facets that go into a blended family. It's not just like the crazy ex-wife, you know, like the first three or four years of our relationship, it was really focused on that, Mm -hmm. really focused on that. And she had so much power in our home. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know if that ever happened to you, Yes, but she had so much power in our home. Then the boys got older and she had less power in our home, but then it became more obvious that my husband was the problem mm-hmm. and, and the dynamic between the two of us and what he was really looking for in a wife that I was unwilling to provide mm-hmm. was a scapegoat, really, yeah. you know, someone else to deal with his sons and their shortcomings. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the financial part. Okay. I'm the breadwinner. Okay. So that's kind of maybe a little bit unique for our family. Mm -hmm. So that's difficult. So I'm the breadwinner in our family. And even when we were dating, that was difficult to overcome at first. Mm -hmm. I made, when we started dating, John made a decent living, but I make a really decent living. Mm -hmm. And so I made probably close to eight times the amount of money John makes. You go girl. Um, So. Yeah. So when we decided to have a baby, we decided that John would stay home for one year. So my ex-husband was a stay-at-home dad. Okay. And when we got divorced, he got a large settlement in the divorce. And that's just the way it is in the state of Colorado. It's a community property state. It is what it is. It's not the end of the world. Right. But I did not want to get into a situation with another man where I was bitter and resentful that he did nothing and I did everything 
And it, cause that's kind of the way it was at the end of my first marriage. Unfortunately, being a stay at home dad and being a stay at home mom are not the same thing. Women and men are not the same. Mm-hmm. So when you are a stay at home father, society does not have the same expectations. Right. And trying to pretend like men and women are the same is, is irresponsible. Right. So John staying home for a year does not mean John was making dinner every night. I mean, John did a great job, but it doesn't mean he was doing all the things a stay at home mom would would be expected to do. Right. And John didn't have the skill set. He had never taken care of his sons completely when they were small. He did a great job with our daughter, but he didn't like pick up the slack in the rest of the household because he didn't have the skill set, not because he wasn't willing. Right. So I knew that was going to be the case. And I didn't want to get into a situation where it was my expectation that, you know, all of a sudden this guy's doing nothing and I'm doing everything and I'm bitter like my last marriage. So I was very clear to say, Hey, let's have you stay home for a year. And he agreed. It was silly to pay for daycare for this child and he could stay home for, for a year and then he'd go back to work. Both of us were very clear. You're going back to work. Mm-hmm. Well, she was born in July of 2017. A year goes by. John used to be a professional rugby player. In the United States, professional rugby players don't get paid. So it's not like he got paid. He's just injured now. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he had a couple ankle surgeries. And in 2018, we decided to get his ankles replaced. Okay. So then another year goes by. We decide, okay, well, he shouldn't work. He, you can't really work if you're getting your ankles replaced. So he got them both replaced. Another year goes by. He's starting to think about working again. We're starting to get pretty comfortable with him at home. I don't really mind him being at home. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're being lazy about it. And then March of 2020 rolls around. The baby's two. And we're really starting to think about him going back to work and COVID hits. Mm -hmm. So then he's home for a long time. And then March of 2021 comes around and he's thinking about going back to work and he and our daughter were in a a devastating car accident and they're both fine now. But again, the long story short, John did go back to work in the late 2021, but in general, since our daughter was born, he really has not worked. Is he working now? He was, he isn't right now, but he will again. He was the general manager of a restaurant and he went back there in late 2021 and he'll go back and forth with that. A lot of it has to do with the car accident, but it's with summer coming up, it's less expensive for us to have him home than to have him working with all the children right. at home. So probably once they go back to school and this place loves him. He was there like eight years before we got married. So they'll like let him take the summer off. Summer's in two weeks. They'll let him go back after the summer. So it'll be like on and off like that. Okay. So I feel comfortable right now. Like I don't feel, but, but still like he doesn't have any money coming in. Right. And I always have him on my payroll. I own a couple of businesses. And so when COVID hit, he could file for unemployment. So he had money coming in for a long time after COVID. And so it's nice because he has very little child support. He had like a weird amount of child support when I met him. And that was because his custody arrangement said that he only got his kids, I think it was like six or seven nights a month, when in reality, he had them 13 nights a month. Mm -hmm. And he like, he just, it's funny, his, his um, custody and divorce paperwork was handwritten in his wife, ex-wife's handwriting. (laughs) 
What? And yeah, and she they didn't hire lawyers or anything. She did the in Colorado, you just do a calculation overnight, how much money. So when they got divorced, she was a stay-at-home mom. Mm-hmm. And so he made all the money and they did the calculations based on her making zero dollars. I don't know why the judge let that go through because in Colorado, they're, they assign you an income if you don't have an income. Yeah. They impute it in most places at minimum wage. Yes. And John's just so dumb. He just did whatever she, she said. So his child support was $900 a month for two kids and he had them almost half the time. It was crazy. So once they did like they went back for mediation and did that actual 60, 40, he owes $120 a month because they make about the same amount of money. Right. So he was paying his own child support. You know, it's great. They're supposed to split expenses. And she does that really fun thing that some people do where she'll like spend money on the boys, not tell us and then send us the bill Mm -hmm. or she'll, she'll just say she can't afford to do something and we end up paying for a lot, just all of it, because if we don't, the boys don't get to do it. Right. Which stinks, you know, because she knows I can afford it. I mean, this happens with all divorced people, I think. Yeah. It's pretty common. And she does make a lot less money than I do. She's a nurse. So um, it happens with my ex-husband, too. Like, it's funny. I, he actually doesn't pay for anything for our kids, because I knew that would happen. Mm-hmm. But he would tell our kids he just couldn't afford it. And I knew I would end up paying for it anyway. Mm-hmm. So our divorce, the judge was great. They did, he, I was, my attorney was worried he wouldn't sign off on this, but I don't pay any child support to my ex-husband. Good. Um, and we, because yeah, well, we decided that I would pay for all of their expenses, no splitting, which my attorney was against. Of course, she was like, he should have to pay for half. And I said, well, yes, he should, except he's not going to, he's going to say he can't afford anything. Right. And then we all know I'm going to pay for it anyway. Mm -hmm. So we might as well just tell them I'll pay for it up front and not pay child support. Because what will end up happening is I'll pay child support and pay for everything. So how about I just don't pay child support? Right. Very smart. So that's right. So that's what I I knew. You know, we were together 20 years. I knew exactly what he was going to do. Anyway, so the hard part with finances with my, it's so hard. The kids live in this seven kids. Now, two of them are out, but we're all living in the same house, you know, we've got five teenagers. They're all pretty privileged and it's John's kids are awful and they're disrespectful. They won't come to our house very often, but they expect the same privileges that my kids have, but they don't expect to have the same rules. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. It's pretty hard. And the biggest one is, a car, getting a car. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I, and, you know, and I don't know how many families this is a problem for, but my parents didn't buy me a car when I was 16. They couldn't afford it. If they could, it would be something inexpensive, but they helped me like maintain it. And they helped me pay car insurance, but I bought the car. Right. Well, I wanted to buy my kids a car. I wanted to do the opposite. I wanted to buy my kids a car, but they need to maintain it. Mm-hmm. So I bought all my, my kids a car. I'll, I, that included John's kids, by the way. I, I bought John's kids' car. Okay. But there's certain rules, and they need to maintain it. They need to pay for gas, and they need to maintain a 3.5 GPA. Mm-hmm. And this has been the biggest problem in my marriage, and it's a friggin' car, and it shouldn't be, and it's terrible. So my daughter's the oldest. She got her car, and she's was great in high school. She's 19. She's almost 20. She's 
out of the house. No problems. John's son, I bought him a car and the first son, and he was a constant problem. And he started, I don't know, like somewhere in between his sophomore and junior year, maybe in his junior year of high school, he started smoking weed and drinking alcohol. Mm -hmm. And we took the car because I didn't, I mean, why wouldn't we? Right. right. He certainly did not maintain a 3.5. He, he, the only reason he graduated from high school is because it was during COVID and they pretty much just graduated everybody. Yeah. Like it was a gift from his high school. And so we took the car and it sat in the driveway for like four months. And we had told him that he could have the car back if he could pass a drug test and he never could. And nor would he even take one. He would refuse. And this kid, every time his father talked to him, would just say, I want my car back. Everybody else gets a car. I don't get anything. Everybody else, like, uh, like I get nothing. Tinley gets everything. Tinley's my daughter. Gets everything, and I get nothing. And it's so infuriating to listen to. And I just, and it's become like this point of contention between me and John. And Finally, I had to say to John, I just, you don't need to bring this to me. I don't need to hear about this. John's not asking me to give him his car, mm-hmm. but like, it's one of those things that like, they all think it's coming from me and it is coming from me. You bought the car. Yeah. John absolutely would have given his car, his kid, his car back. Right. And I'm like, what is, what is wrong with you? Why would you get, this kid is stoned 24 hours a day. Why would you put him behind the wheel of a car so you can kill somebody? Mm-hmm. Like what? So all he does is so it's the it's the financial thing. So he told John that having the car is his birthright <laughs> because all of his mm-hmm, mm-hmm, because all of his sisters and brothers get a car. So we transitioned from his ex wife being the problem, right? Uh-huh. To like her like throwing all the financial and the no discipline. To like the problem in our marriage now is like the monetary difference. His kids are so ungrateful and can't follow the rules that I don't want to provide them with the financial things that I provide my kids with. And that is such a terrible place to be in a marriage. Yeah. Because my kids are getting all these things financially and his kids might not. So, so the car was out there for four months. I took him off the car insurance after, uh, because you could put it back on at any time. Right. Finally, after four months, and this, I don't know if this was, this wasn't a mistake, but it was a relationship killer. So finally said to John, we have this $20,000 car sitting in the driveway. That's ridiculous. This kid is never going to get his act together. Mm -hmm. We have to get rid of the car. And John agreed. And I sold the car. The kid went off the deep end, off the deep end. Our relationship with him is over. Uh, he is never going to get over it. It is crazy, crazy. Like he's definitely got some sort of mental illness. Yeah. Like he's threatens to commit suicide. His parents had him committed for four days. One time he, he always threatens to commit suicide, which is terrible and scary. Yeah. And his parents had him committed and they, the, there's a hospital here for mentally, for mentally ill kids, like right by the regular hospital. Mm-hmm. And they had him committed for four days and they called his mother on the second day and said, this kid is not a threat for suicide. He's a behavioral problem. <laughs> and so that was money well spent. Yeah. And then, yeah. 
So he's supposed to be taking all these meds. He doesn't take his meds. He just smokes pot. So he graduated from high school in 2021 and he's been living with his mother. There was a car accident last year. I I mentioned Mm -hmm. his girlfriend was in the car. So, so it was your husband, your daughter and the girlfriend and his girlfriend. Okay. And so here's how it happened. I don't think this can happen in, in nuclear families. Like the problem with a blended family is that my child, your child thing where it never goes away. Right. The my child, your child thing never goes away. And I know everybody wants to say that it does and that I love that child like it's my own. That is, and maybe I, it's just me, but I don't think so. Yeah. So I want his children to be okay, but not as much as he does. Mm-hmm. Just not as much as he does. Sam is his son's name and he almost never comes over here. He does it now because I don't allow it. So he was over here and it's really uncommon for him to be over here. It was April of 2021 and he had this girlfriend at the time and he was always high, never at school. He was supposed to be going online, right? There, He was about to graduate. He never did it. And he had asked John if she could come over. Mm-hmm. And it was a Tuesday and, and I never get home from work until seven and I only work three days a week. So um, I, I work from seven to seven, three days a week. And John coaches rugby on Tuesday nights. Mm-hmm. So John and I always have lunch together. He came to lunch with me and he said, Sam would like her to come over this evening. And our daughter was with him because at the time she was only three and he had, she only had half day daycare or uh, preschool. So he had gotten her already. And I normally try to be super nice. Mm-hmm. And I had at this point just been pushed too far with the kid, the husband, like everything. Yeah. And I lost it. So we're sitting at lunch and I said, he said, she'd like him to come over. And I said, well, she's not effing coming over. And I just like lost it. Uh, and he's like, what? He was surprised. Cause I don't normally, I'm not normally mean. Right. Okay. And I said, she is not coming to our house. I'm sure she's lovely, but I've, I've only met her at this point, like once or twice. I, I only remember once, but it had to be more than once. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I go over this day in my mind a lot. It's, it's become the focal point of my life at this point. It was horrendous. And I say, uh, she's not coming to my house. And he says, what? And I said, look, all they do is go in his room and stay in there for hours. And you just let it happen. And that's fine. That's your child. If that's what, what's okay with you. But I would never allow one of my children to go in the room with a member of the opposite sex, close the door. And I don't care if another person does allows their child to do that. I really don't. Mm-hmm. But I don't allow my child to do that. This is my home. That's a big point of contention too, by the way. This is my home. She's underage. Your son is not underage. Your son is 18. She is not 18. And I don't know if her mother knows what's going on. It makes me crazy uncomfortable. I don't know if they're in there doing drugs. And you're not going to be home tonight. You're going to be at rugby practice. So really what you're saying is you're going to bring her in my house. They're going to go in his room and close the door and do God knows what. While I sit upstairs and feel uncomfortable. F no, that's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. So then he changed the subject and I thought that was the end of it. So then I go back to work because we're just at lunch. And a half an hour later, I realize my husband has been in a horrible car accident. And I go to the scene of the accident and his car is demolished. And I think he and my daughter are both dead. And the police officer starts asking me who the other adult female in the car is. 
clearly insinuating that he thinks my husband is having an affair. Right. I don't have any idea who the adult female in the car is until it dawns on me like an hour later that it must be this girl. So my husband has disregarded everything I said to him and has gone to this girl's house and gotten her and was bringing her back to my house to spend time with his son. So, right. So she was devastatingly injured. She's fine now. She was in the ICU for five days. She was in the hospital for a couple weeks. She was in a rehab facility for like eight weeks. Oh my gosh. My husband was in the ICU for two days. He broke all the bones on the right side of his face. He broke his right leg. Our daughter was unhurt because she was in a car seat. Oh, thank God. Believe it? Right. How lucky are we? Yes. And I have so much anger. So his son blamed him and she was skipping school, which John didn't know. It was like two 30 in the afternoon. And John's an idiot. Why didn't you know? I don't know. But like Sam wasn't at school because he was going to school online because it's COVID who knows. So everybody. And so his son says these things to John, like you did this to her. I hope you rot in hell. So I told him he was no longer allowed in my home. So he's not allowed in my home anymore. Mm-hmm. So that is peaceful, right? That's peaceful. But even now when John talks to him, because I encourage John to maintain a relationship with his son, he asks John to buy him a car. So let's revisit. Yes. So, you know, we said we were going to talk about finances, right? Yeah. So I brought this back to the finances. So his father, who does everything just for his children, puts his own marriage at risk and does everything for these children and still maintains relationship, no matter what they do to him, no matter what they say to him, no matter how they hurt him. The only thing he says to him now, even though he's not even allowed to step foot in his father's home is, will you buy me a car? And he knows the only way his father could afford to buy him a car is if I did, Mm -hmm. I helped him. And he says to his father, everyone else gets one. (laughs) So finances in a blended family suck. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Because John knows he can't afford to buy his son a car because he doesn't have enough money. He wouldn't, if we weren't married, he wouldn't have enough money. Right. Sam never would have gotten the car to begin with. Right. So, and Sully, his, his brother is driving a car that I bought because Sully is smart and flies under the radar. Mm -hmm. So it's just so hard. Like the, and so I have since the accident separated our finances. I have my own checking account. I have tried to encourage John to work more and more so he can pay for, I won't pay for anything for Sam anymore. Mm -hmm. Sam's out. I've tried to encourage John to work more and more so he can pay for things for Sully. Like I'm really trying to separate all of that stuff because now I'm terrified that something will happen with Sully. And I really need John to like stand on his own two feet with his kids. Cause I just can't be let down as much anymore. Mm-hmm. And Sully's about to go to college. So, so here, Lori, I want to ask your advice on this. I don't know how you guys handled this. This has been my fear since day one of marrying John. I have been saving for my kids to go to college since the minute they were born. I have several hundred thousand dollars saved for my kids to go to college. Mm-hmm. I told John from day one that I had that money for my kids and wasn't going to be able to help him pay for his kids to go to college. Mm-hmm. I'm certain John thinks I will help and I have no intention of helping. Do you have any advice for me? Just remind him you're not going to. Okay. That's the right thing, right? Like I worked hard 
I just, I feel like I've paid for a lot for his kids and really supported them financially for the last seven years. Mm -hmm. And they've had a lot of opportunities that they would not have had if their father and I hadn't gotten married. But it sucks because they're just kids, right? I know, know. I know. But here's the thing, okay? Like you said, if you weren't in the picture, the kid wouldn't even have a car, right? Right. Right, absolutely. If you took that money you had been saving for your kids to go to college, and just say, for instance, you don't have enough to cover all of your kids now because you're paying for his kids, you are going to hate him because you're looking at it as, I've worked my butt off and saved all this money for my kids to go to college, but then I marry you and because you can't afford for your kids to go to college. Now I have to pay for it. And I know some people listening are thinking, oh, no, that's wrong. You can think it's wrong all day long. But when you marry somebody, that does not make you responsible for their kids. They still have a mom and a dad that should have prepared for this. I think what really bothers me the most is I took on the responsibility at the beginning. And now I've stopped. Right. My one wish in life is I could go back from the beginning and not take on the responsibility from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Because now I almost feel obligated. Yeah, because you've done it for so long and he's relied on you for so long. You didn't take on the responsibility from the beginning, did you? As far as finances, David and I have always combined finances. Okay. However, I do get child support and that goes into a separate account. So anything for my son that he needs above and beyond the normal, then that comes Mm -hmm. out of child support. I bought him a truck. It came out of child support. Say, for instance, he had to have a test done at the doctor, and it was like 600 bucks. That comes out of child support. But as far as, like, food and mortgage and all that, no. I don't take any of that out of his right. child support. Right. But David's kids, they didn't want to go to college. They ended up, three of them joined the Air Force, and one of them moved to the mountains. Well, by them joining the Air Force, they can go to college. Right. They got the GI Bill. Right. So there's other options for his kids to go to college without you paying for it. And honestly, unless you are a multi-billionaire or something, I don't think you should because it's taken away from your kids. It really will. Yes. It's, college is crazy expensive now. Like, it's unreal. Yeah. Oh, I know. My son's actually doing dual enrollment right now, which all I have to pay for is books. He's still in high school, so that's great. So he takes one class at the high school and then three classes in college. And so that's helping out tremendously. But he also knows that he needs to do the best he can so he can get scholarships. Because even with the child support, I can't afford to pay for him to go to college. That's a lot of money, like you said. Mm Mm-hmm. So he understands that he needs to get good grades to get scholarships and things like that. Now, granted, I will help him. And I've told him he can live here as long as he's going to school. I don't have a problem with that. And again, with David's kids, if David would have said to me, I need your help to pay for these kids to go to school, then we would have definitely had to address things because, okay, I'm helping you put four kids through school and you're going to help me put one But like I said, we've always combined things, so it's not like we draw that line. 
But okay. but he's never told his kids he was going to pay for their school. And I pay mm-hmm. for my school. My dad, even though he had the money, he's like, no, you won't appreciate it unless you right. pay for it for yourself. How did you guys split up like extracurriculars and stuff? Well, thankfully, <laughs> they went to a private Christian school. And mm-hmm. so there wasn't a whole lot of extracurricular opportunities. And did you pay for the private school together? David paid for that. He paid for that himself? Yes. Yes, that was all on David. He was paying for it before we came along, and he continued to pay for it after we got married. So that's like paying for college. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, and again, if I was rolling in the dough and could afford to pay for these kids to go to college, I might would consider it, but here's the other part of that. Does that mean that I'm going to be the little old woman living in some kind of home because I can't afford anything because I've put somebody else's kids through college? That's a good point, yeah. And that's like the message I got from a lady earlier, and she's in a situation where she says, I pay for everything, and I'm getting very resentful for it because it's affecting her future. She can't save as much for her retirement because she's paying for these kids. Yeah. It's tough to have like such a, a a different income from your spouse when you don't have the same obligations financially. Right. Like it'd be one thing if they were our kids, like that's a no brainer. Yeah. Yeah. But they're not our kids. We just have the one. We see it a lot where people say that they are going to keep their finances separate. I really wish we had done that from the beginning. But that's just as complicated sometimes because it's okay. Well, your kids here, how many days a month? Then we need to figure out that they eat 17% of the food and use 17% of the, elect- I mean, if you really break <laughs> yeah, it down. Yeah, that's pretty complicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that would be pretty complicated. And then, oh, well, yeah. I bought little Johnny snacks at the grocery store, so you owe me $4. I mean, it's just, it's hard. The whole blended mess is hard. There's no way to make it easy. So let me ask your advice about, so John's older son, he Let me ask you if I'm following your method properly in a few ways. It's been really peaceful for me lately. He doesn't live here anymore. He's not welcome here, but I have been encouraging John to have a relationship with him because I, it would really bother John if he didn't. He has gotten in himself in some trouble and he was arrested, which again, like this feels so foreign to me. I'm not really used to like (laughs) involved in the criminal justice system but they have deferred his charges if he does like this, uh, some sort of program for like teenagers. I don't remember what the program's called, but I'm not like asking John any questions. And is that like, you know, I'm like, I know he's talking to him. Should I be like asking him, how's it going to like encourage John and make him, I do care. I don't care about the kid. I know that sounds terrible to say, but this kid has put me through the ringer but I care about how John feels. Right. Would you like ask him, how is it going? Or should you, would you ask him like, how are you feeling about Sam? How are are you doing with it? Like I, I wanted him to feel like I care how he's feeling about it, but I don't really want to know. Like, you know, I don't really care how Sam's doing. Yeah. I know it sounds terrible, but I, if this kid fell off the face of the planet, my life would probably be peaceful. (laughs) Um, But I want my husband to feel peace too. Right. Yeah. So how would you go about supporting your mm-hmm. husband whose child is not in your life, but is in your husband's life? 
Well, you made a comment a minute ago that you encouraged John to keep a relationship with him because you know it would bother him if he didn't. Right. You shouldn't have to encourage him. Oh, you're right. I don't like he, he, I, I, at one point I discouraged it. Okay. Okay. And it took me a minute to realize how wrong that was. Okay. Good. And that it's not my place. Right. Like I, I mean, I'm sure you can imagine like the trauma to our family after the car accident. Oh yeah. And all the anger and all the blame and that our daughter could have died and how much I blame John for that and how much I blamed Sam for that and how much, how traumatized the other children were. Mm-hmm. And of course there's other factors in that there's a lawsuit involved and his son is helping her family with the lawsuit. And at one point I said, if you're going to continue to have a relationship with your son, you and I are not going to have a relationship. And, you know, after the months went by, I was able to like back off from that and, and say, Hey, you know what? If you have a relationship with your son outside my relationship with you, that's fine. Right. So I don't know that I encourage it. Okay. I, I realized how wrong it was to discourage. Okay. Well, I'm glad that you realized that because that's very wrong. I would never tell David that he has to choose between his kids and me. Right. And I did do that. But again, it came from a place of trauma. Right. Oh, yeah. Understandably so. Yeah. 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 As far as asking your husband about what's going on with this stuff. I think what I'm asking is, do you think I have a responsibility to do that? I think that you need to let your husband know that you are there if he needs to Mm -hmm. talk about it. But otherwise, stay out of it. Because anything he says about this kid, you're going to take it negatively. So if he says, well, yeah, he's supposed to go do, I don't know, community service on Saturday from 9 to 12. In your head, you're thinking he ain't going to do it. So you've you've got this negative response. And it's going to be hard to hide your face to where he doesn't pick up on that. So I think that it's best to let him know that if you need to talk to me, I'm here. Otherwise, I'm letting you handle that because he's your kid. Yeah, it's been a hard situation. But it's funny how you transition in blended families from like, and maybe just my blended family, but we have definitely transitioned from the problems. The problems change. They do. When they're little kids to when they're big kids. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how when they were little kids, I thought it was so terrible. The problem was really their mom and John. Mm-hmm. and the relationship between their mom and John and a little bit, the kids. Right. And then as the kids got older, John was really able to put up boundaries at my request between himself and his ex-wife. Mm-hmm. And he did great. Like she had, they had no boundaries. When right. Them. And she really set the rules and John followed them. Mm-hmm. And I kind of said, Hey, you know, now that we're married, it should be me and you setting the boundaries with her and he was great about it. And then, I mean, it took a while, but he was great. And then mm-hmm. everybody kind of set into their role and it was great. And then the kids got older and the kids started to have problems. And then it really became, and she, ever since the accident, she's actually been great. Oh, really? Yeah. I had never spoken a word to her until the accident, Huh. which in and of itself is super weird, I think. Right. The first time he tried to introduce us, I tried to introduce herself, her, myself to her and she ignored me. Like pretended like she didn't hear me, which red flag. Like I thought that was so weird. Like why? Like they've been divorced for 
five or six years when I came along. Mm-hmm. Like, it's super weird. My ex-husband and John are super friendly. Um, I just think their the whole situation is really odd. And why didn't I see all these red flags before I got married? <laughs> I yeah. did. One of his sons refused to come to our wedding. He had to leave our wedding to go get him. Oh my gosh. I know. It's so much, it's so much drama. And I don't know what I was thinking, but, but now, and I don't enjoy the drama. Like some people are super attracted to it, but it is not who I am at all. I just had such a nice, peaceful life mm-hmm. before. And I'm really hoping that once both the boys are adults, we can get back to that. The younger one really is fine. There is no drama. Like he's not great. Like he's not very respectful of his parents, but he gets decent grades and he doesn't do anything terrible. He's just not super nice to his parents. But I mean, I can live with that. A lot of teenagers are like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't hit his mother. And that's great. So that's a, that's a step up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's uh he's got a leg up on the other one. Yeah. Well, I want to ask yeah. you something. You sure. made a comment that they moved into your house. Yes. And, you know, maybe it's because I moved into David's house that I'm sensitive to those things because okay. when somebody posts in the Facebook group something about my house, my rules, my response is, right. where does your husband live? Because right. it's their house, too. And technically, right. it's the stepkid's house, too. Right. So that's funny that you mentioned that. We, My husband moved into my home. And so two years ago, we actually, because that had been my home with my former husband, Mm -hmm. we actually sold that home and moved so that we could purchase our home and he could feel like this was his home, a home that we built together. I am so So, glad that you did that. Yeah. So technically, financially, it's my home. Right. But emotionally, it is our home. Right. Like, yeah. So our, neither one of our exes have, have ever lived in this home and all of the children, like they started fresh in this home with like, none of them was this their home before it was the other's home. And they all had their own bedroom here that they all picked out and were happy with. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no kid got the short end of the stick at this house. Good. Yep. So yeah, I, I think that was important. I didn't really see that at the beginning of our marriage. I was really happy with my old house and I didn't really understand like why you would want to move out of a decently good house. But then after like pretty close to the beginning of our marriage, I realized like, Hey, I wouldn't want to live here if John's ex-wife had ever lived here. Yeah. And uh, John never really said anything to me, but I, I knew that was how, how he felt like I could feel that's how he felt. Right. So we, yeah, we moved. So yeah, that's a great, I, I, I agree. I think that that's pretty crappy to, to not feel like, to like, feel like you're living someone else's life. Right. Well, and yeah, not just that, but if it was my house and David heard me say my house, my rules, my home, whatever, then Mm -hmm. that can make him not feel secure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. When we first moved in together, we had all these ideas about how, like my rules wouldn't work and his rules wouldn't work because now this was our family. So we even tried to like sit down and come up with joint rules, Mm -hmm. like a little bit, his rules, a little bit, my rules. We we thought we were so cute. It didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) Like electronics, right? Isn't that the worst one? Yes. Yes. Like his kids had no electronics rules. My kids had 
huge electronics rules. So we like tried to meet in the middle. My kids weren't allowed to have their phones in their rooms at night when they went to bed. Mm-hmm. So like we decided his kids couldn't either, but then I relaxed my kids rules a little bit on like other ways. Like they were allowed to have them longer hours. Mm-hmm. And so we like made this bucket for the kids to like turn their phones into at night. Oh, that did not go well with his kids. But yeah, you're right. Like it has to be, yeah, my house, my rules doesn't work when like, especially for the kids. Right. Can you imagine like walking into some stranger's house and you you didn't pick this person, but all of a sudden, no. I never tried to parent John's kids, which I, I honestly think that's, you know, I talked about how awful they can be to their parents. Uh-huh. I will say neither one of them has ever said one disrespectful thing to me, even the terrible one. Good. He not one time. And I think it's because they both know where their bread is buttered. Well, not just that, like, but you n- never overstepped into that parenting no. role to be told, no, you're not going to tell me what to do. No. Right. No, those aren't my kids. And so I always, even before I started reading about the nacho method, I, I never felt comfortable like parenting someone else's kids. They have two parents. I mean, they might not be very good at parenting, but they're still there. Right, right. That doesn't mean we can go yeah. save the world and rescue everybody's kids. Yeah, I tried to support them, but I never wanted to discipline them. Right. I did the other parenting things. I drove them to school and I made their food and... I went to all their games and did all the, made sure they had all their stuff they needed for their trip the next day. But I never did. I never disciplined them. I don't, I read like, you know, there's all these Facebook groups for stepmoms and I read all these ones with ladies that are like, and then I told them to do, I can't even imagine. Yeah. Maybe it's because of where, you know, I think there's some regional differences in parenting. You know, I'm from Colorado and I feel like maybe women from the South feel a little more comfortable it's more like my family is from Georgia mm-hmm. and they absolutely feel a lot more comfortable parenting. Like my cousins will parent my other cousin's kids mm-hmm. quicker than I will parent or they'll parent my kids, you know, really quick. Right. So I think some of it's regional. It's funny because a lot of times people will say, well, we say treat them like a friend's kid. And right. somebody will say, oh, well, I discipline my friend's kid. You might tell right. little Johnny, no, don't put your hand in the fire. But you don't put him on restriction. Right. You don't whoop him. Right. There, yeah, there's a difference. And right. I've got a friend that, golly, we've been friends forever. And this always comes to my mind with her little boy. I am quick to say, oh, be careful. We don't want you to get hurt. That's not parenting. That's adulting. Yeah. There's a difference. Totally agree. Yeah. And it's so hard sometimes to distinguish between the two. But... Just because you tell them to do their homework or whatever, is that parenting? To me, it is. Right. I'm not going to go tell my friend's kid to do his homework. Yeah. I've been trying to get my husband to nacho my kids Mm -hmm. because there's one child, my 13-year-old in particular, It's he's a great kid, but it's like they have the opposite personalities. He's not an athlete. Like, so my husband, and I grew up athletes mm-hmm. and this kid is kind of a weirdo. Right. And I find it awesome that he's so different from the rest of us, but my husband finds it frustrating. Right. And I keep asking him to not show my kids. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the way I describe it to him. So my best friend's name is Nick and he doesn't have any kids, but I'm like, imagine Nick had a kid. What would you say to that kid? Right. Say that to my son. Like, right. don't say, you know, like, and it's pretty funny. Like he, he's like the slowest kid 
ever in the history of the world. <laughs> and it's obnoxious. Like he's just kind of obnoxiously weird. And neither one of us understands where he's coming from at any point, but he's my child. So I find it adorable. Yes. And John finds it infuriating. Yes. And that's all it is, is biology. Like if he was my friend's kid, I would find him infuriating. Uh huh. And John just has the worst time with it. And so he'll come to me and be like, did you want Kale to do this? And I'm like, well, I don't really care that he did that. Did you care that he did that? Did you want me to speak to him about that? (laughs) And it's, it's pretty funny. Yeah. That's, but I'm trying to get him to like, kind of get the whole, like, would you say anything to your friend or to your friend's kid about that issue? Or even the the neighbor kid. Right. If the answer is no, move on. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I know (laughs) talking about the, kid being slow and stuff like that. I remember David used to pick on Jackson because he would walk slow. And I always taught Jackson when we were getting the car or something, I'd say, oh, look at the flower. Oh, look at whatever. So it's my fault that he does those things. You know, he's just mm-hmm. looking around kind of thing. And David told him one time he was like a snail going up a icy road or something. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so they still joke oh. about that. But I love that you can talk about your kid like this because if you were saying this about the stepkid, honey, you know that wouldn't go over yeah. well. But since it's yeah. your kid and you're like, he's awkward and he's just weird. And yeah, that's okay because right. he's yours. Right. Yeah. And we laugh about it. One thing that might benefit you to share with your husband is a blog I wrote and it's uh, benefits of the step parent not showing, and it's for the bio parent. So okay. it would show him the benefits of if he did not show how it would help things. Okay, it doesn't put you in the middle. It helps him to build a bond with the kid. You know all this stuff. So check that out and see if that might help you explain it to him a little bit. Okay, that's great. Yeah, John's in a really awkward position mm-hmm. because my children range in age uh, outside of our own child. My children range in age from nineteen to nine. Mm-hmm. And my children, there's so many of them mm-hmm. and they're so laid back. I mean, so my ex-husband is pretty laid back and they, these kids are like so laid back. The nine-year-old was two or three when John and I started dating. Right. So he pretty much, John's his dad too. Right. Like he pretty much has two dads. And so like John's able to parent him pretty effectively and nobody minds. Mm-hmm. The 19-year-old is a girl. And so he doesn't parent her, but she's always been pretty good. So he doesn't need to, but she adores him. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's not a huge fan of her own dad. Right. So like, it's just like, he's just able, he, and he's really, tr- it's just different for stepdads. It is. But he's just able to like move it. But the 13 year old, again, super awkward. So poor John has like a wildly different relationship with each one of my children. Mm-hmm. Like they all totally accept him as their second father, but it's just, you know, but he has to have like a different role for each one of them. And my role for his children is pretty similar for each of them. But he, with my daughter, he's like super close and friendly and he never parents her, but he's like an uncle. Right, right. And then my younger son, he is kind of like a dad. He takes him to hockey practice. He coaches him. He, you know, he does everything a dad would do. And then the 
13 year old who just tries to stay out of the line of fire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the 17 year old is just like a buddy. Yeah. So yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty funny. So he has to juggle a lot of roles. Yeah. But all of the children love and adore him. And I think his kids just don't know what to make of me even after seven years. Like they all, they both like me. Right. But um, they just don't even know, like, they're, they're just feel, I think they just are always uncomfortable. And I think that, that they're, they're, they were told from their mom just has always been really disrespectful of their dad's romantic relationships. And I'm sure they heard a lot of stuff at home and I think it just makes them feel bad. Yeah. And you mentioned yeah. something earlier, and I'm so glad that you realized this too, that these kids are going through stuff too. It's oh, yeah. not just you. It's not just your husband. It's the kids too. Their lives have changed dramatically. Right. If, say, for instance, you had a 17-year-old, which you do, right? I do. Mm-hmm. So, And so does he. Right. But say your 17-year-old was the oldest. Well, all of a sudden, you marry somebody that's got a 19-year-old where technically they're not the oldest anymore. So oh, it can shift kind of that dynamic as well. It's funny that you mentioned that. Have you ever seen those Thing 1, Thing 2 shirts from Dr. Seuss? Yes. You know, those two... So when my kids were growing up, I always dressed them in those shirts. And so they had thing one, thing two, thing three, thing four. So when John and I, every year I get their pictures taken and they wear different shirts, the different theme every year. But the first year after John and I got married, I did the thing shirts. And so Kyan, who is my 17 year old, got demoted to thing four from thing two <laughs> because John's kids are in between my two kids. Right. So he was like, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> I, why am I thing four? And I was like, well, because Sam and Sully are older than you. <laughs> and he was like, well, that sucks. <laughs> I'm like, well, sorry, buddy. Yeah. So yeah. I told like, so his, he, he is the true middle child. There are three above him and three below him now. And even though he's 17 and my second oldest. Yeah. He's the true middle child. And he acts like it. I would love so. for somebody to do research on this. I mean, it's hard enough to get people to research blended families, but when you have uh-huh. your middle child that is born the middle child, right, uh-huh. versus a child that goes into a blend and becomes the middle child, middle child, do they have yeah, middle child syndrome? Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I actually, I don't know. It's funny because he was the middle child for a long time because he was the middle child for four years when he was Mm -hmm. born or when he was before my fourth was born and he definitely had middle child syndrome and now he's like super responsible so I don't know I'd have to read a birth order book to see where he really falls yeah but yeah that's a great that'd that'd be an interesting read um to see blended families but I bet it would still go along birth order in in the nuclear family that's what I'm thinking too because you know my son yeah he's my only child and we mm-hmm. used to joke that once David and his ex did 50-50, because in the beginning we had them more than that, but once she decided to do 50-50, it was like Jackson was an only child one week, and then he had four brothers the next week. That's funny. Yeah, our daughter, it's funny. She is so sad when her brothers go back to their dad's house. Oh, Because I have 50-50 with my ex-husband. And only two of her brothers go back to her. my 17 year old stays here all the time, but the nine and 13 year old go back every week. And she wants to go to, it's hilarious. She's yeah. like, oh, I want to go to, I want to go to Eric's house. And I'm like, Eric, you want her? And he's like, no, 
<laughs> like you can have her. He's like, no. I remember one time Jackson said, I want to go with the brothers to their moms. And I was like, uh, that's no, they need a long time with their mom. (laughs) She, she never asked to go to kids, mom's house, but she always wants to go to Eric's house. They'll try to sneak her into his car and it's hilarious. Oh, it's so weird. There's such weird, so many different dynamics and blended families. When Tinley, when my oldest was still in high school, we would go to her tennis matches. And when she was really, really little, she called him dad. Because everybody else called him dad. Mm -hmm. And it was super awkward for him and my husband. But I saw the humor in it. But they didn't. (laughs) And um, she would say, dad, 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 dad. And Eric would just try to ignore her because he didn't want to hurt John's feelings. Then she got a little older and she learned to call him Eric, which is his name. And now she, she still doesn't quite understand. She's only four. So she doesn't really understand why he doesn't take her or why he doesn't want to spend as much time with her as he does the other children. So she's always trying to charm him. So she'll say like, I love you, Eric. You're my favorite Eric. And like, it's Uh really hilarious. She's adorable. Yep. So it's a pretty funny. And now we all like her. We laugh quite a bit about it. I mean, it's, it's pretty funny, but um, one day we'll be able to tell her the stories and she'll be able to be horrified that she tried to make the boy's dad fall in love with her. (laughs) <laughs> but she's she's actually been over to his house several times when I'm out of town and the older children are are keeping her they'll take her over there and and for him to feed her because they don't want to feed her mm-hmm. so they'll take her over there for dinner and she'll sit right next to him and while she eats he says that she likes to sit next to him <laughs> and I'm like how about we don't tell John that baby went to Eric's house for dinner <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah we all get along pretty well like it's a pretty weird Blended families are weird. I think that's that could be the theme, right? Of uh, of the whole thing. Yeah. Well, I think you know it's funny. Like I, I really meant to get on here and talk about just the finances and how everybody should. Sub- I I really believe that. And I know you guys have your finances together from the beginning, mm-hmm. and I think that splitting the finances, like you talked about, like seventeen percent, that's silly, right? But I really think splitting. Uh, you know, basic finances, like, Hey, you pay for your kid. I'll pay for my kid. I really think that that can save a lot of resentment right? in the long run. Uh, And that's really what I, the message I wanted to send. Like I have a lot of anxiety and when your kids get older, their expenses get bigger. Right. And it's not for everybody because some people that's not their agreement. Some people that doesn't work, but if you can foresee resentment and bitterness in your future and split your finances way before I did. Right. Or at least have these conversations. Have lots of conversations. Yes. Well, I've had the conversations and I, my husband, even as recently as two months ago said some asinine thing to me, like, well, don't you think we could help Sully a little bit when he goes to college? And I wanted to say to him, what do you mean we? Yeah. Like, what, what are you talking about right now? Yeah. And, and I'm, you know, I'm bringing in my own baggage to this marriage from my last, but mm-hmm. blended families have baggage. Like there's not a blended family in the world that didn't bring in baggage from the last relationship. Right. That's how they're formed. Yeah. And I just think that if we had gone in with the, you need to keep working and maintain your own finances and earn your own money because you have your own children that need to be paid for it. And it doesn't have anything to do with me. Mm-hmm. Then things would have been better. And I walked into my relationship and because I'm a woman, 
And a lot of stuff is because I'm a woman. Yeah. I felt like I had an obligation to raise these kids. Well, that and financially support them in the same way mine were supported. Right. If I had bought my children a car and not, and his children didn't get the opportunity to get a car, how bad would I have felt? Right. Terrible. David's kids, with him having the triplets, of course, I mean, that was a lot of cars, but he had a car that they shared. And I haven't talked to them about it, but I may actually have um, one or two of them come on and let us talk about those things because they know that Jackson got a truck and he's not having to share a vehicle. And he he didn't get an old used car from us. I mean, granted, his truck's old and has a lot of miles on it. But so, I mean, I don't know. If you look at value-wise, they were probably close to the same, but still, he didn't have to share. And I wonder if they have any feelings towards that, because I've never asked them about that. Hmm. That's a great question. Now, I do know, too, though, that their bio mom has ended up giving two out of the four a car since they've left here. Hmm. So... If you want to be fair, then she owes the other two kids a car. <laughs> I, mean, I don't. You can't do like, fair. Whenever, you can't do it. Yeah, we don't do fair in my house. Like, and it's funny because John's kids were really quick to bring that up when we first got married, and I was pretty quick to say I don't really do fair. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not really way. Uh, uh, kids are different from each other. Yes. So fair isn't really a possibility. Yep. Well, let me ask you this: the youngest stepson does he still come visit? Yes. So it's funny that you asked that. I've been a little bit frustrated with him. He stayed with us for a whole year, almost exclusively over COVID. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden I bought him a truck when he got his driver's license. And then he went back over to his mom's and he never sleeps here anymore. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, like I associated like that with me buying him a truck, like I almost felt like he was just buttering me up to buy him something and then he forgot I existed. Right. And in reality, I really think that was more about his dad's car accident, just the trauma and the drama and everything that was going on over here. And I'm trying to like, you know, but he never spends the night over here, but he comes over and he spends a lot of time with his dad and he comes and he'll babysit his little sister. I'm new into this whole um, college thing. So you may know more about it than Mm -hmm. I do. But I know if they apply for financial aid, if he's living with you and your husband, they take your income into consideration. Yeah. So when you fill out the FAFSA, it's the more custodial parent. However, it goes off the parenting plan. Okay. So our parenting plans both have the other parent as the more custodial parent. In their situation, it's their mom who makes less money than us. And in my situation, my ex-husband and I made the more custodial parent him by about six hours a week so that it would be his income. Right. So there's the opportunity that this child can get more help because he's showing that his mom's the custodial parent. His mom. Yeah. His mom's a nurse. Yeah. We did that on purpose. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he should be able to get some sort of aid. And honestly, at the end of the day, they can all take loans out. Right. And when I was a kid and I went to college... My parents didn't have any money, and I am the queen of getting financial aid. I know exactly how to do all of it. So I'm going to be able to help them a ton in that manner, and I'm more than willing to spend my time and effort on helping them figure out how he's going to pay for it and wherever he wants to go. 
Well, and see, there, there's where you're helping. It's not yeah. like you're completely throwing your hands up, telling your husband, "No, we're not helping him." Be like, "I'll no. be more than happy to help him how to with getting yeah. financial aid and all that stuff." Yeah, there's a lot of ways I can help him without paying his tuition. Right. Yeah, and I just I mean, I worked full-time and went to school full-time. That's how I paid for mine. Yeah. Me too. Me too. I worked and I worked my butt off and I still have call, um student loans and I took, my parents didn't couldn't. I don't want to say didn't because it makes them sound terrible. My parents couldn't help me. Right. So I um, I did it all by myself and I have I still have student loans here 20 years later, but that's honestly that's because when I went to college way back in the Stone ages, student loan interest rates were nothing. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, I think kids have like 8% interest. Nine is terrible. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, thanks, Lori. Thank you so much for being a guest. I knew it would be more therapeutic for me to talk to somebody else who's doing the same thing. My therapist is actually great, and she really likes the nacho method. Good. I see all these ladies on your Facebook page say their therapist told them that it's not right. I'm like, what? Yeah. Those are the same therapists that say, you just need to love those kids more whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you can love them too. You blew <laughs> yeah. in the face, but that's not going to make right. little Johnny love you and treat you respectfully. Right. And right. Yeah. They didn't get a choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Well, thank you again for being a guest and keep in touch and let us know how things are going. And I think that you're doing a great job. Thank you. All right. Well, you have a good day. Thanks, Lori. appreciate it. So David and listeners, if y'all heard, which I'm sure you did if you were listening <laughs> and heard what she was really saying. She said she would not do the blend again. She has been traumatized in the blend. And she, like a lot of others, thought it would be like a nuclear family, just bigger. Mm. Y'all, the Brady Bunch ruined us. <laughs> it set us all up to think, Oh, we're just going to have a great big life with all these kids. But again, they had an Alice. (laughs) And their exes weren't in the picture. And it was written in the script that way. And again, they had an Alice. (laughs) If we would have had an Alice, it would have been great. Alice would have been blamed for telling them to brush their teeth. Alice would have been blamed for telling them to do their homework. Alice would have been blamed when the cereal wasn't in the pantry. Yeah. I thought <laughs> I thought it was funny when, the, when you and I got interviewed for uh, that New Zealand TV show that the opener played the Brady Bunch clip. That's <laughs> 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 uh, funny. It, it's a trick, folks. It's a trick. Yep. But we get it. We all wish that this blend could be more nuclear family-ish. Mm-hmm. Because it would make life easier. But stop dreaming. Well, you go into it thinking everything's going to be great. I mean, why wouldn't you? You go into your any relationship, whether it's your first or second or third or twelfth, but <laughs> go to all of them thinking this is going to be, you know, a lot better than it sometimes turns out being. The thing is, you have to have very realistic expectations. And this is where the problem starts. Because if you don't even know what that means, if you don't know where that line is, then you're setting yourself up for a lot of heartache. It doesn't mean you don't necessarily have any expectations for anything. Because I know some people look at that and go, oh, I'm just supposed to not expect anything at all. And just, 
whatever happens, happens. There's a, there's a fine line, but you do have to have reasonable expectations for your blend. And that changes over time. So in the beginning, it might be really low. It might be non-existent. But as time goes on and you're building those relationships and your blend is improving, then the, relation, the expectations can improve and increase and go up. So same thing as any relationship. Like if I just met you on the street, I don't have any expectation that you'll do anything for me. And if I ask you to do something for me, and you say, no, I'm not disappointed because I don't have any expectations. You'll do it. Now, That's right. if you're my best friend and I ask you for help and you say no, and I had some expectation that you would help me as my friend, I am now hurt. Hurt, disappointed and building resentment. Yep. So it's all about setting reasonable expectations for the time that you're in as a family and as a relationship. Okay, that's it. I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) I do find it interesting where she says that the first few years, the focus was on buy a mom. Then she realized hubby was the problem. He was wanting someone else to take care of his kids. Mm. Yep. You can't blame them. No. Who doesn't want to live in babysitter? I do still. Yes, you do. <laughs> Even though we don't have any kids here. I need to live in puppy sitter. <laughs> yes, we need to live in puppy sitter. <laughs> but you can't blame them. And then again, it goes back to way, way back in the day, cavemen, cave women, all this crap, where <laughs> the cave women took care of the cave. And the kids, if they weren't old enough to hunt, guess who took care of them? The cave women. Hmm. Until the cave babies became cave teenagers, and then they could go out and hunt with the cave men. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. All right. So there's your history lesson for the there's day. There's your history lesson for today. <laughs> it all goes back to the cave days. You've been watching too many Flintstones. Yabba-dabba-doo. <laughs> the cave babies. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. <laughs> All right, folks, hope you enjoyed this one, and we will see you again next week. And just remember, life is good when you nacho properly. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nacho Kids podcast. Find us online at nachokids.com. Until next time, remember, life is good when you nacho.